Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside DLU here as we look uh, forward to the Oklahoma game. It's a 2.30 kick on Fox as the Wildcats head on the road uh, to take on the 8th ranked uh, team in the country, the Oklahoma Sooners. So we'll preview and get you ready for that ball game, uh, as well as highlight this week's Wildcat legend. And uh, we'll also look back at some moments uh, in some games in the K-State-Oklahoma series that uh, we have some fond memories on, or have just memories on in general, uh, some of them not as fond as others, and answer your questions in this week's edition of Ask the Icon. I've got my main man D. Louie here to my right. Dilu, how are you doing this fine Wednesday night? Icon, I couldn't be any better if I tried. It's uh, it's a beautiful evening here in lovely Kansas City, and uh, talking to cats, talking to Sooners, and this is what this is what we do on Wednesdays, baby. That's right. That's right. Just like clockwork. Well, as I said earlier, this uh, Oklahoma team uh, boasts one of the country's top offenses in the country. Uh, of course, last year and then also the year before with Baker Mayfield, uh, one of the nation's top offenses here for the, over the last uh, two or three years. This offense doesn't seem like it's lost to be uh, since Mayfield's gone in the NFL. No, this offense, surprise, surprise, is really good again. Uh, even after you lose a, really a, what should be a generational talent in Baker Mayfield, they seem to reload it. Um, and are just running roughshod over pretty much every team they've played this year uh, so far. And, uh, you know, if, if you follow some of the smarter college football guys, Bill Connolly's S&P Plus has OU's offense as the uh, top offense in the country, uh, number one. And uh, so K-State's defense is going to have their hands full. Luckily for us, uh, last week we've declared that the lynch mob is indeed back. And uh, they're going to need to be back uh, to face this uh, powerful OU attack. With OU, uh, they're led by Kyler Murray, who was also picked uh, the first round of the MLB draft. He will not be playing professional football, but rather professional uh, baseball. Uh, He's a guy that has come right in and replaced Baker Mayfield, and if you look at some different metrics, has actually outperformed Mayfield uh, so far this season. Yeah, uh, he's a beast. He's uh, 115 of 159 this year so far. 100 or 1,970 yards uh, for Murray. Uh, he's elusive, has a good arm. He's actually OU's leading rusher at the moment too. Um, now that's not saying a ton because of uh, the injury to uh, Trey Sermon. Um, but Kyler Murray does have 490 yards on the ground too. So that's a 8.4 yards per carry for him. And so he can get it done in a number of ways. Um, you know, not unlike Baker Mayfield in that he can beat you through the air and, uh, beat you on the ground too. Well, and as you mentioned with Rodney Anderson going down with an injury, as well as Trey Sermon being a little bit hobbled as well here as of late, uh, they have instituted a little bit more of the quarterback run into uh, into their offensive profile here, and when you also you look at their wide receivers, they've got a bunch of frisbee catching dogs out there as well. Yeah, and don't forget that this OU running back stable. I mean, K State fans coming into the season, uh, we were really high on just the sheer number of quality running backs we had, but. Uh, OU's no different, and they need they need all of them because, like you said, Rodney Anderson's out, Sermon's banged up. Um, but last week, uh, running back Kennedy Brooks uh, showed that he's pretty good too. He's a 5'11", 205-pound freshman. Um, he ran the ball 33 times against TC, or I'm sorry, he's had 33 rushes on the season uh, so far for Oklahoma, 360 yards. Uh, and ran for 168 on 18 carries against TCU. So just because they've had some uh, attrition this year at running back doesn't mean that we won't see a fine running performance by Oklahoma this week. Uh, but getting to your point, as for receivers, yeah, OU's absolutely stacked there too. 
They've got uh, they've got one of my favorite uh, names, my one of my favorite players in college football this year with Hollywood Brown. Ugh, I that is such an obnoxious nickname. Well, <laughs> just because I could hear Gus Johnson going Hollywood like uh, that, he, uh, <laughs> that's he, a nightmare. He uh, he's a dangerous player. Uh, if you watch football on Sundays, he might remind you a little bit of Tyree Kill out there with his yeah uh, with his blazing speed and. He gets in the open field. Uh, say goodnight. Yeah, he uh, he's probably one of the most dangerous receivers in college football. He has 716 yards on 38 catches, and he's absolutely a home run threat. Um, and we should know because if you remember last year's game, he had six catches on the day for uh, 126 yards. So that's a pretty uh, efficient day for. Um, Marquise Brown, full stop. <laughs> but uh, and then you have C.D. Lamb too, who's also uh, pretty dangerous, great pass catcher. Um, but as for receivers, very good for OU. Well, you know, in the in the age that we live in now, you'd think CDs would be obsolete, but uh, <laughs> not not with C.D. Lamb. No, he's bringing him back, baby. He's, he's bringing him back, back in a big way. He's bringing him back in a big way. Well, uh, we could go on and on about this Oklahoma offense. And we will, just a little longer, because OU's offensive line is also stacked, too. I mean... Tell us about it. Well, I think I will. They have uh, two... uh, Well, they have three all-conference guys who are returning. Um, Two of them are at guard with uh, Ben Powers and Drew Samia. And then... uh, Any relation? To me? Yeah. No, he's DRU. Uh, he, oh, he and Drew Barrymore yes. are uh, second cousins, I think. Okay, I'll but, be. Uh, and then you have tackle Bobby Evans, um, and then some newcomers. But it starts to make sense when you look at OU and you say, wow, this is a really good offense. And then you look at, well, they have a really top-flight quarterback. They have an elite stable of running backs. They have elite wide receivers. And they have probably the best offensive line in the conference. So top to bottom, you think, oh, well, that makes sense. It makes sense that they're so good because they have really good players. And not to mention, Lincoln Riley is one of the best offensive minds in the game right now. And he's he, of course, comes from the Mike Leach coaching tree. Mm-hmm. And coaching under Leach, coaching under Bob Stoops, it starts to make sense that, oh, yeah, this, this offense has the pedigree to be the best offense in the country. Lincoln Riley is going to have the opportunity to uh... – Maybe trade in that OU on his visor for a nice star. You think so? Might be coaching the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, keep dreaming. Yeah, yeah, everybody said Bob Stoops was going to do that too, and uh, he, you know, he's a guy that, with with what you look at, what the NFL's kind of gone to in terms of this more, we'll call it college style type offenses where you have you know things like the Chiefs going on. He's going to be a guy that's going to be thrown around as a name for a lot of these head coaching vacancies here in the NFL as, as, as that time comes. But, you know, for what he is right now at Oklahoma, he's been uh, he's been passed every test so far with flying colors except for the exception of uh, getting a little conservative in last year's Rose Bowl against Georgia. Well, and the uh, Red River game this year. Well, I want to transition here. I think that, that, that fits a good transition here as uh, we, we kind of talk about that game against uh, Texas for Oklahoma. Uh, of course, Texas came out uh, the victor in that one. Uh, but a result of that game, you could say it was a result of that game or you can say it was a long time coming before then. Uh, but Lincoln Riley made the decision to uh, part ways with Mike Stoops as the team's defensive coordinator and has inserted Ruffin McNeil, who he spent some time, uh, Lincoln Riley spent some time with at East Carolina. Uh, you know, of course, after the Texas game, they had a bye week, uh, which is where the transition was made. What's, uh, what do you make of that change? Is it's been a long time coming for OU? Because I know uh, the OU fans that I uh, conversate with uh, have been wanting to get a, a new guy on the sideline for the defense. Uh, for the last several years, yeah, I think I think this was a huge mistake by Riley. I think Mike Stoops is a defensive genius, and that no, I think it was an absolute, absolutely the right call. Um, it, it was long overdue when you have athletes like that, and you still can't figure out a way to crack the uh, Big Twelve offensive uh, code. 
and hold some of these legitimately good offenses, at least to reasonable numbers, uh, then you're you're doing something wrong. And uh, so, no, it, it makes perfect sense that uh, Mike Stoops was finally um, canned at OU. But uh, as far as his replacement goes, like you mentioned, it, it's Ruffin McNeil, which is a guy that Big 12 fans should be pretty familiar with. Sure. Um, I th- though I think his last coordinator job in the Big 12 was under uh, Mike Leach at Tech. Mm-hmm. Since then, he's been kind of a journeyman. He, he was at East Carolina, like you said, for yep. a time. Which there. I really thought, I thought they got rid of him too quickly. And I think that's kind of the consensus. Yeah, he uh, East Carolina hasn't really done much uh, since they let go of, of Ruffin, but... Uh, you know, a guy who really kind of got the Texas Tech um, defense turned around there as they had some good years in 07 and 08 under Leach and were kind of right there in the in the national title talk about this time of the season uh, as we got into late October and early November. But, uh, you know, a guy that's familiar with the Big 12 and obviously a guy that Lincoln Riley feels comfortable with uh, to make a change like this in the middle of the season. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's had just one game so far as his in his new role uh, against TCU, but really I, they did pretty well. Now, granted, it, it was against a TCU team that uh, is kind quite, of falling apart. Yeah, quite frankly, in disarray at this point. Yeah, and, you know, after the Ohio State game, everyone was uh, really thumping their chest about TCU and how good TCU was going to be this year and about how they were going to challenge for the conference crown. And I was right there with them. But um, TCU since then, whew, very bad. Did not like uh, did not like TCU really going into the season. I uh, think Sean Robinson is their quarterback, a very talented guy, but just not quite there with, you know, where he in his development as a quarterback. However, I will say one thing though about TCU is they usually have a pretty strong defense and and this year, mm, Giving up 52 points to Oklahoma is nothing to really, you know, um, hang your head too hard about because that's a, a prolific offense. Uh, but that offense is really far behind of, of where they need to be if they're if TCU is going to be a good team. But we'll get to them, of course. Uh, K-State uh, goes on the road to Fort Worth next week as well. But uh, You know, one, one, one last point on that TCU game. The 27 points allowed by OU against TCU – that's the most TCU has scored in conference play so far. If that tells you anything about where the Horned Frogs are at offensively, so sure, that's a great you know, add. Where, where, where everybody's patting OU on the back here for this refreshing performance that the defense had against TCU, but uh, you know, Tech, Iowa State, and Texas held TCU to fewer points. Now, granted, those are three of the better defenses sure. in the conference. But uh, still, it's a, it's a wild time when we're saying Texas Tech's got one of the better defensive uh, units in the conference, but the numbers bear it out. Yeah, they do. And, uh, you know, in terms of what OU did, uh, you know, what Ruffin did that Mike didn't change as McNeil made, at least from what we can parse out against TCU, um, it really comes down to replacing uh, – some of his personnel on the field to get more physical. OU has famously been in that man scheme for a long time, which requires smaller secondary, rangier secondary players. Um, and the effect of that is they can play better man coverage, but they're not going to be quite as physical as some of these other teams who institute zone concepts and have uh, brawnier, uh, wider defenders back there in the secondary. And so... Uh, they shuffled around their secondary a bit. They moved. They got Justin Broyles out, and the long and short of it is is that uh, Robert Barnes is playing free safety for OU now. Um, schematically, they stayed in the four-two-five for the most part, uh, but did do some three-three-five uh, dime stuff that Iowa State uh, has had a lot of success with uh, under Matt Campbell. Um, and other things they've done, they've made the defense a little simpler. Um, they've gotten rid of some of these more complex schemes that Mike was trying to do 
And so the result of that is that you, you know what OU is going to be doing for the most part defensively, but it's just a little easier to read, but hopefully easier to execute if you're an OU fan. Um, they did institute some zone against TCU. They got away from going completely man, ran some cover two, and they, uh, they're getting a lot more guys subbed in. 22 guys took snaps against TCU on defense, and so a fresher unit, uh, a more physical unit, and a unit that's uh, easier to execute for the players. And if, if you're an OU, if you're OU and you have these, you know, dominant athletes that you've recruited, I think a defense like that makes a lot of sense. Just keep it simple and just try to out-athlete some of these uh, offenses in the conference and let your let your athletes go do what they do best. Sure. No, I, I completely agree. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, OU still right in the thick of their chase to get back into the college football playoff. And I think Lincoln Riley made the right decision, of course, firing Mike Stoops and, and getting Ruffin back uh, you know, on the sideline as a defensive coordinator. And I think it'll be a move that pays dividends because I think Oklahoma still is the team to beat in the conference. I think you're going to get uh, part two of OU Texas in Jerry World here uh, December 1st, and I think it's going to be a heck of a game. And Right now, if you had to put a gun to my head, I'd pick OU to win that game. Yeah, I would too, especially with, um, with the changes we've seen so far. Uh, out of McNeil because, you know, they lost the Red River shootout, what, 48 to 45? Yeah, a, Fur- a furious comeback came up a little bit short at the end. Uh, but I will say this, too. Texas, you have to give them credit after uh, an early, you know, first game of the season loss to Maryland. They've really ride the ship, but I'm not quite sold on on what Texas is doing. They've They've won a lot of tight games, had some fortuitous bounces go their way. There's something to be said for that. However, uh, I think I'll, I'll even go as far as saying they're an op, they're uh, on upset alert this week as they head to Stillwater. That's an interesting. Yeah, that I, I kind of like that. That that would be a that would be a shock. I haven't seen what you know what the line is for that game. Take a guess. I, I do guess, know. I do. I would know, guess, guess. I'd guess Texas by between three and a half and seven. Uh, Texas is a three and a half point favorite yeah. at this point. Three, three, three to three and a half, depending on where you look. Uh, but no doubt, uh, the odds makers are are pinning this one as a close one uh, in Stillwater. Um, so let's transition a little bit to what K State needs to do in order to have success against Oklahoma. Of course, they're going to have their work cut out for them, as we detailed. Oklahoma's got the best offense in the country uh, by by a lot of uh, different metrics and different uh, valuations. What do you see K State's uh, chances? in terms of uh, moving the ball on the Oklahoma defense when K-State has the ball? Well, ideally, we'd be a, a better passing team going up against this OU defense because OU's pass defense is, uh, is, is bad. Um, How bad? Like, B-A-D, bad. Oh. Uh, they are, uh, I didn't know it's that bad. They're 110th in the country in uh, passing marginal efficiency. And... Uh, I, I don't know it, it, I don't know all the nuts and bolts of that, but it sounds like it's pretty bad. It's not what you want. No, it's it's not what you it's want. Not, it's certainly not what you want. Um, and you know, like I was talking about earlier, moving from if you're sitting in man coverage and you're sacrificing tackling essentially for coverage, and you're still a bad unit covering the pass, then what do you what do you in man what are you doing in man coverage? Just get out of it and put better tacklers in there. But I digress. Um, for K-State, I think the formula is going to be the same as always. Uh, same as always. Same as it was the last two weeks. Um, and that is give the ball to Alex Barnes a lot. Give He should be carrying it more than 25 times uh, against OU and work out of the play action. Because the OU safeties especially if they're in cover two and they're doing some of the zone stuff, they're going to be focusing in on Barnes, especially if he's having success. So get him to bite there and see if you can punish him downfield when the time is right. But I don't want to rely on Thompson's arm too much this week. Let's just stick to what we've been doing that's been working these last two weeks. Pound the rock, 
And uh, hopefully we can eat up some clock, keep this game somewhere in the 30s or low 40s, and uh, get out of uh, Norman with a, with a win or at least a close game. Well, I think that uh, K-State doesn't have to look, and I wanted to mention this as well, uh, in, in Tuesday's press conference, Coach Snyder had mentioned what Army had done against Oklahoma. Now, of course, Army, if you you may or may not be familiar with how they operate, but uh, they're running out of the uh, triple option attack, uh, you know, eating up the clock is, is the name of their game. And I don't think K-State will have, be able to have that kind of success on the ground as that, I believe, was a 28-21 game in overtime uh, for Oklahoma as they were able to survive a, a late threat there by Army, uh, a nail-biter there, no doubt. Uh, I believe Army had over 45 minutes time of possession in that game. Uh, I, I Are you looking that up? Yeah, Army ran the ball for 340 yards against... Uh, Against Oklahoma, granted they had seventy-eight attempts. <laughs> sure, I mean when you're when you're running the ball nearly every play, uh, it, it sets you up. Though I, I think some of the principles though are the same here. It, if you take away what Army did in terms of running the ball seventy-eight times, obviously K State's not going to run the ball seventy-eight times. I don't feel like, but the the recipe is still a little bit the same. You know, win on first and second down. So that way you have third and three, third and two, rather than third and eight, third and nine, and that you know the conversion rates there are, are are you know staggering in terms of how much easier it is to pick up third and three rather than third and long. So I I completely agree with you uh, in terms of what K State has to do to be successful to on offensive side of the ball. Uh, as you mentioned, the play action pass is going to be uh, something that to look for from Kansas State in this game. And it sounds like Dalton Schoen will be back after missing. Who? Uh, Jordan. Excuse me, I misspoke. Oh, yeah, okay. And you, you were probably scratching your head wondering who I was talking yeah, about. Yeah. Who's the Schoen guy? Never heard of. But him. Uh, Jordan will be back, and uh, or he should be back, uh, barring you know any type of dramatic setback that takes place between uh, now and game time. But uh, that bolsters the wide receiving core a little bit, and uh, you know could be a, a hopefully a difference in the game. Uh, if if Jordy's able to uh, to break loose there, so we look at what K State has to do against Oklahoma offensively. I feel like K State will have some success offensively against Oklahoma's defense because, quite frankly, almost any team that's played them has had some measure of success offensively against OU so far this season. Yeah, I mean, if, for a team that's had some struggles offensively throughout the year, to say the least, uh, it's it's a team that it's a defense that you can face to get back on track, and that's why I think just stick to our bread and butter. I mean, this is a this isn't a defense that you have to try to really exploit a particular weakness because throughout the 2018 campaign, um, teams have been able to really just do a lot of what they want. And, and I I mentioned that OU's been horrible against the pass, but like I said, look at what Army did against OU, where they really had a high success rate. They controlled the game offensively they were moving the sticks they had the ball for 44 minutes and uh racked up 340 yards on the ground and so uh i yeah don't make it complicated when you have the ball for 40 you when you have the ball for three-fourths of the game that's staggering i i can't imagine how frustrating that would have to be to be an ou fan just watching Watching this game, where you know, like, hey, we're gonna get maybe three possessions a half at, at that, right? And, and, and when and you're the when when you're the underdog, that's, that's what, absolutely what you want sure. because the I mean, to break this down and this, to to make obvious uh, the strategy here, when you get so few possessions and a half, and you're the favorite, that makes your margin for error really slim. If you throw an interception, uh oh, get ready because you only have. You know, you know maybe a, another, a few more possessions yeah, to right that so. ship. Yeah. And if if your defense isn't very good either, then, uh-oh, your margin for error just got really slim. Sure. And so that's that's absolutely the recipe. Um, if, you're a, if you're a team that's capable of running the ball and you're the team that's the underdog by three scores, then, then you control that clock and you make this game go by as fast as you can because that's your best chance. 
Well, uh, that is there anything else you want to add for K-State on the offensive side of the ball here before we transition to uh, when OU has the ball? No, although I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I don't know how much we can really talk about this. This uh, I think K-State's played a little bit better uh, when you look at um, the Baylor game was, of course, not uh, not good for K-State as they missed you know tons of tackles. Uh, that allowed Baylor to really turn it on in the second half in that one. Uh, throw that game out. Say the defense has actually played pretty well as of late. Yeah, I agree. Um, second half against Texas was really good. And then I thought, uh, as we said on, on this air, that uh, the Oklahoma State game was K-State's best all-around game uh, from both offense and defense uh, for sure. And I thought the defense uh, played really Really well. Yeah, they played exceptionally uh, against Oklahoma State, and uh, they're going to have to do the same thing against Oklahoma because you know we could sit here and try to dissect this Oklahoma offense and figure out a way. Well, where are they weak? What what, what can a defense do against this this juggernaut offense? And um, but we'd be throwing darts at the wall. I mean, I if we could tell if we could tell you uh, how to slow down this Oklahoma offense, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. No, we'd be we'd be. Uh, We'd be the defensive coordinator for Texas. Yeah. But uh, our good friend Ian Boyd, um, he says that the way to stop Kyler Murray is to blitz him. And I don't – maybe he isn't great under pressure because OU's sack rate isn't horrible. Um, 4.6%. So that's good enough for 38th in the country. Um, So it's pretty good. But uh, maybe pressuring him – and getting into that backfield as soon as possible to limit the ground game is is, is the way to do it. But um, defensively, I hope that uh, you know Norwood and Siler are ready because they got their work cut out for them on Saturday. Yeah, like I said, uh, this is an offense that uh, I actually looked up uh, some statistics. It was a Barry Trammell article out of uh, the uh, the Oklahoman that uh, compared what the you want to just go ahead and call uh, Tua Tagovailoa of Alabama the Heisman Trophy winner? Are you comfortable doing that right now? Not quite. Not quite. No. He, oh, he's pretty darn close. This, yeah. He he's got some he's got some big games ahead of him that uh, could affect that analysis. But so far, it's it's jaw dropping. Yeah. Uh, Tua here with twenty five touchdowns, no interception. Uh, Tua uh, Tagovailoa here with a two thirty eight point eight passer rating is the highest passer rating in a single season of all time in college football. Right behind him at number two is Kyler Murray. Of all time? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, two at 238.8. Uh, Kyler Murray at 224.9. Any any idea who's the same person's at three and four? You have, you have any idea on who that might be? I'm going to guess... Uh, uh, is it Baker Mayfield, both of them? <laughs> it's Baker Mayfield for both of them. Uh, Baker Mayfield in 17 is number three with 198.9. And uh, Baker Mayfield at number four here at 196.4 uh, in the 2016 season. So when you look at uh, what this Oklahoma offense is uh, at the quarterback position, it's not just an elite unit this year. It's an elite unit in the history of college football. Yeah, it, it's a testament to, you know, to those players, absolutely. But it's also a testament to kind of how college football's evolved in the last even five years, where offenses are just so far, and you're seeing this in the NFL too, but offenses are just so far ahead of defenses that defenses are trying to play catch up. But it, it's becoming really hard for, uh, you know, great quarterbacks. Uh, sure. And, yeah. it, it's just hard to contain them. But I think it's mostly a product of, you know, I, I don't want to call any of these guys system quarterbacks because they're not. But they do have the luxury of, of playing in a time where schematically offenses are just killing defenses. Yeah, absolutely. So, that, so hats off to, you know... Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley and, and the legacy that, at least the legacy Bob Stoops left behind because um, the way the offenses have evolved are certainly uh, a big part of those numbers. Well, we've looked at uh, this matchup kind of up and down now. 
What's your prediction? I think K-State loses. Um, I'm, I'm going to say uh, K-State's going to lose this one uh, 42-31. to 31. I, I think that the line is really puzzling. Um, but I, I, I don't see how it's 24. Now, I might eat those words, but I think uh, K-State loses this game in the range of two scores. Okay. That's, that's fair to say. Uh, I, I also agree with you. I think uh, Oklahoma just has far too much firepower for this K-State team. Uh, I've got the Sooners winning 52-31. to 31. Uh, We both see this oh, game. by Lynch Mob. Yeah, the Lynch Mob uh, taking a week off. <laughs> okay. Taking a week <laughs> off. Uh, they, uh, they, they enjoyed their time too much in the bye week. They're, yeah, they're reading their own headlines. They're reading their own headlines. They didn't listen to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I think that K-State will have some success offensively, but OU's just the juggernaut on offense. They're just going to, quite frankly, you know, make this a track meet and uh, K-State won't be able to keep up. So I've got K-State uh, covering the spread as well. Um, making a little tight there at the end. Uh, but a 52-31 uh, to 31, uh, win from the Sooners is what I'm predicting. And uh, that's how I see it, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. So uh, that concludes the OU preview uh, portion here of the Short Side Option podcast. We'll be back after this uh, quick break to look back at some great moments in the OU K-State football series, as well as answer your questions on Ask the Icon on the short side option. All right, welcome back to the short side option where we are getting into a segment we call this week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, this week's Wildcat Legend is a defensive lineman. He, uh, he played in some of K-State's best years, 2002 through 2004. Uh, I'm not sure if he was on that 2002 defense, actually. Fact check me on that. Okay. But definitely on the 2003 defense, 2004 defense, uh, defensive tackle from Wichita, uh, went to Butler, okay. transferred to K-State, number 91. This week's Wildcat legend is, of course, Jermaine Berry. That's right, Jermaine Berry. Jermaine Berry uh, was a beast. He was really good. Um, he was on uh, a number of watch lists coming into the 2004 season, and that's because of his outstanding 2003 season. Um, he had uh, he was a starter in all 15 games in 2003, and was K State's uh, leading returning tackling coming in tackler. Excuse me, coming into 2004, uh, he had 82 tackles in 2003, and had 10 tackles for a loss, and uh, had seven sacks. So, pretty impressive 2003 campaign. You know, for a defensive tackle, getting seven sacks in the season is very impressive. Yeah, I mean, he was really good. Um, And then in 2004, he had another terrific year. Uh, You know, his best game, of course, uh, was that uh, unfortunate loss to Fresno State, where he had a, <laughs> a nine. He had they laid an ass whooping. Uh, they did. Year. They did. Forty-five twenty-one. But good day for Barry. He had a uh, nine nine tackles that day. So impressive performance by him. Uh, what do you have to say about Mr. Barry? Fantastic player. Uh, you know, a guy that obviously had great stats as we had run down the list there. Uh, as you had so eloquently uh, taken care of there. But, you know, he was a guy that was getting double-teamed, even triple-teamed at times, uh, on that 2003 defense. And that let Josh Buell run wild back there at the linebacker position. and Well, Andrew Scholl, too. I mean, a lot of those DNs get get a lot of the glory. They get a lot of the sacks, but a lot of that's due to – to the interior defensive line and doing their jobs and, and occupying attention. No, Jermaine Berry, without doubt, a a fantastic player for K State and a guy that uh, you know when I look back at those teams and and especially that 2003 team, uh, a major part of that, uh, a guy that you know had a great career at K State and is one of the long line of players from Kansas State that started their 
college football career at Butler County and uh, made a significant impact at K-State. That's right. And Jermaine, uh, these days, is uh, stuck around Manhattan. Now he's selling real estate. So. Oh, that's great. Does, so, do, you, do you know what his, uh, his company is? Uh, his company, I believe it's uh, Flint, Hills, Flint Hill Homes, Inc. Okay. So, uh, according to uh, my notes and my research that I've done on him, he, he's, he's uh, selling houses for people around the Flint Hills and specifically in Manhattan. So, if you're looking for That's a... That's great. If you're, looking for a, if you're looking to relocate to uh, God's country or, you know, if you're already in Manhattan and want to go somewhere else, Jermaine Barry's your guy. That's the official... A real estate agent of the short side option. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we'll have Jermaine on sometime to discuss, you know, the the real estate market here. Uh, maybe one of the off season podcasts. Yeah, well, that's you're spoiling our pivot plan for uh, next spring and next summer. Uh, but to let the listeners know, we uh, we are planning to uh, really analyze the Central Kansas uh, real estate market, and so uh, we have a nice list of guests. Already planned. Yeah, and uh, Jermaine Barry is certainly, list. Yeah, he's he's at or near the top. We have a few other names in mind that are really going to surprise you with their uh, real estate acumen in Manhattan. But uh, um, nothing else can be said about Jermaine Barry other than he's uh, a great football player, terrific real estate agent, and this week's Wildcat legend. All right, we are back after highlighting Jermaine Berry as this week's Wildcat legend. And, uh, you know, from one legend uh, with Jermaine Berry to some legendary moments, that seems like a, a great segue here as we look it back. It was a great segue. As we look back at some of the great uh, moments here in the uh, Kansas State-Oklahoma football series. Uh, of course, Oklahoma has pretty well dominated this rivalry historically. Uh, Beat the brains in out of K State uh, throughout the 70s, 80s, you know, as far back as you really want to go. 90s and today. 90s and today, yeah, that's pretty fair to say. But K State has had some good moments here in this rivalry, of course. Uh, you know, some big games, uh, multiple college game day appearances uh, highlighting this game. Well, yeah, 2000. 2000, twice. Twice. Yeah. 2001. That's right. So, uh, K State has, uh, you know, that that two thousand. Ah, man, we should have beat them at least one of those times. Yeah, you just look back and you think maybe just, maybe just dial back the blitzes a touch, uh, Phil. Maybe just, uh, yeah, maybe just chill out for, for a little bit. But you know, the thing is though, when I look back at those two thousand K State OU games, Josh Heupel was remarkable you know really throughout all those games anytime they needed a big play he was delivering you know as k-state blitzes 15 people on on a, on a play they uh they somehow pick it up and josh heupel throws a wounded duck into the middle of the field that's caught and broken tackle later touchdown it seemed like that that that's my memory yeah for they, a lot of those games uh, yeah and they really took the big 12 by storm that year, the country really. Yeah, a preseason team that was, uh, I believe, ranked preseason number twenty, runs the table, undefeated national champions. Yeah, you you, you see that sometimes, but not often. Not often. And, no. uh, boy, you remember in that two thousand game when I think it was like I forget exactly what the circumstances were, but it was a third and short, fourth and short, some really clear quarterback. Uh, sneak situation and Beasley takes a snap just shoves into the line and pops out on the other end uh going to the north end zone running roughshod just free for 50 yards refs blow it dead k-state punts the ball i remember thinking these officials have this is this that was a microcosm of that day is k-state was really getting handled uh throughout the game and then Made a furious fourth quarter charge and uh, has probably one of my favorite moments uh, in a loss that I can that I can recall 
is uh, a blocked punt ran in by Terrence Newman. And I'll say it. I think anyone that was there that will, uh, anyone that was there that day will say it as well. Uh, that moment uh, after the block punt cut K State's uh, deficit to only seven points. Loudest moment in uh, in K State football history. And I've been to several pro football games, any type of sporting event. Loudest moment I've ever been a part of. Yeah, that's that seems to be. Uh... Cemented in Wildcat legend that that's uh, that's a moment that won't that is the loudest forever. Nothing can touch it. Uh, there was so much there was so much anxiety in that game because there was obviously uh, Bob Stoops' first return to uh, Manhattan after raiding the coaching staff and and getting his program up and running at Oklahoma, and there was a lot of. Uh, a lot of angst, a lot of aggr- uh, a lot of anger, I guess you'd say at at uh, OU. There are new kids on the block here, and new kids on the block, the Oklahoma. That's well, the new the new Oklahoma. I, I know, guess. yeah, they, the they, return. They, uh, yeah, of course, obviously a college football powerhouse for for a number of years, but this Oklahoma team, you you had not really seen this kind of passing attack really in the Big Twelve. Of course, K State did some of that early on, and uh, you know, in in the Big Eight with Chad May, most notably, but uh, this was this was something new for that K State hadn't seen from Oklahoma. Yeah, that was a lot different, and, and you're right to point out that there's a lot of angst there. In fact, the OU game in 2000, the first one, it's the first time uh, Young Delu ever heard his dad say a bad word. Uh, Is that so? I was 11 years old. Yeah, it took me 11 years before I heard my dad cuss, and uh, we were down. Uh, it was after the game at Arby's over there, right on right Blue on Anderson. Or Anderson yeah. or whatever it is right there. And I guess it is technically Blue Monk. I know. I, I never understood that really. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's confusing. But uh, there was some tiff or something. OU fans were thumping their chests about Veeden K State, and they were really running hot there. Uh, and my dad just turned to one of them and said, "You guys are so damn arrogant." And I remember thinking, whoa, that's a word that I have heard tell of, but I've never heard somebody in my family speak like that. Wow. Yeah, so okay. that, if that gives you any kind of insight into into just how angry a 40, mid-40-year-old man was. Throwing the D word around. Throwing the dang, or dang word around, but he yeah. didn't say dang. Yeah, I hear you. Well, certainly a, a, a big moment in the life of young D. Louie there uh, as that occurred. And, of course, that had a, you know, I remember going, <laughs> I remember where I went to eat at after that game. Yeah, where'd you go? Little Car- Apple Brewery? No, Carlos O'Kelly. Oh, great choice. Yeah, and I remember thinking, like, this is the first game I've seen K-State lose at I remember, home. I remember thinking, this is the best Mexican food I've ever had. Yeah. These chips, this queso, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. But, uh yeah, I was just like, man, we, we don't lose at home. And yeah, this it was, was a rare sight. It, and it was traumatic. Yeah, and <laughs> to have those times back again. But, uh, you know, that is, is one of the big moments that I always remember uh, when talking K-State. The pump block? Yeah, that's that's yeah. one that I always always remember. That was a, a fun day, uh, minus the outcome. Uh, there was the buildup of college game day was, was great as well. Um there's also a couple different uh, moments. I've got about oh, another seven, eight, nine in here as well. <laughs> another another thirty-five. <laughs> I can go on and on about this, uh, but thirty-five to, to seven, uh, right. seven to thirty-five uh, comments here that I've got. Yeah, uh, got uh, loaded here. But uh, of course, you you can't forget about uh, the snap to no one in two thousand five. Yeah, that boy. most perplexing that thing I've a, ever seen. In how about that game? Uh, a lot going on there. Where the guy, the guy blew himself tragically, yeah. blew himself up outside the stadium. That's uh, that seems like it doesn't get enough press in yeah. Big Twelve lore that there yeah. was uh, an attempted suicide bomber that tried to get into a into a into a game. Yeah, and then blew himself up on campus. Yeah. Uh, a few blocks away, but also not that shouldn't be buried. Like you said, is is that where the long snapper snapped it, and there wasn't a punter back there. I've never seen that since. Don't think I'll ever see it again. I think not. I, I I'm wondering 
you know, this has been talked about to death, but do you, does the long snapper look under his legs at any point? Just to make, or is he just trusting that I've done this mechanically 10,000 times in practice and, you know, he's back there? Yeah. I, I That 05 team had a lot of problems with it. And uh, getting the punter out there and making sure him and the long snapper are on the same page uh, might be right at the top of that list. It's not something you think about uh, when you analyze special teams is, oh man, that long snapper, he always... He always looks behind him and very careful about checking, but yeah, what a what a disaster. Uh, so we'll look uh, next. We'll, we'll get some nice memories here. Uh, how about uh, the 2014 game? K-State squeaks one out. I believe the score is 31-30, a game that K-State probably should not have won uh, when you look at things. Oklahoma had some really questionable play calling. Uh, remember they were moving the ball down the field and they decide to uh, get cute and run a little bit of a double pass there that gets intercepted by uh, Morgan Burns in the end zone. Gives K-State a little bit of life to stop out a what looked like a sure Oklahoma touchdown. And then, of course, um, Michael Honeycutt missing extra points and short field goals. Oh, yeah. That, uh, I forgot about how much of a goat. He was. Yeah, and I mean, this is a guy that was, you know, considered one of the best kickers in the country, Uh, one of the best kickers in OU history, and missing, I mean, I'm not talking missing like, oh, a 38-yard field goal. I mean, we're talking like 27-yard field goal, extra point was was blocked. So, At what point do you start wondering, did Honeycutt have uh, some action on the money line in that game? He might have. He might have. K-State was about a seven-point dog going in that game. And uh, that really jump-started that 2014 team, uh, you know, off, obviously a, a, a tough loss to Auburn to start the season. Uh, but that really jump-started that team to where they were in the top ten for, for most of the season thereafter. Yeah, a team that the whole time it seemed like, are we really that good? Um, at least for me. It just seemed like, um, and that may be a product of TCU and Baylor being two really teams, teams that seemed like, okay, th- these teams are much better than K-State, even though K-State was in the conference title discussion until really the end of the season. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, that OU game, it also had a pick six, I believe. Yep. And that Danzel was a, McDaniel. That's right. Off Trevor Knight. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, just another crazy moment. When you look at this series, the best moment for K-State fans, no doubt, the 2003 Big 12 Championship game, a 35-7 to win. You, we could go on and on about that game. Uh, a couple plays stuck out, of course. The middle screen to Sproles, the bomb to Terry. Uh, Sims. Sims sealing the deal there with the, the interception return. I was not at that game, uh, but it was just as much fun, I, I would almost say, watching it from home and, and getting to listen to uh, my man Brent Musburger uh, call the action. Yeah, he called a gym that night. I was at that game. Um, and I just remember being blown away without having really studied this game, you know, seriously in years. Uh, I remember thinking that the story of that game was K-State's red zone defense and conversely mm-hmm. OU's Absolutely. Struggling. offense yeah. in the red zone because they, they were, reception. yeah, they were down there for, you know, a good portion of the game that just kept whiffing um, mm-hmm. down when they got into deep in K-State Trey DeCarlo territory. missed the field goal. Uh, James McGill with an interception uh, to uh, to keep OU out of the end zone, but no doubt. A, L, uh, wait, did you say L. Roberson had an interception? No, no, James McGill, oh, okay. the, the man with the bushy eyebrows. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we, um, yeah, that was, no doubt a great, probably, uh, I won't even say probably, definitely the best win in K-State football history, uh, beating the... People will dispute that, but... Oh, actually, no, I take that back. I take that back. Best win... I, well, I guess you could say it should be, but people are. Big oh, on actually, no. I'm, I I retract. Two thousand or uh, ninety-eight Nebraska. Yeah, people will say Nebraska, but, but number two, clear of number two. But for me, it, it's probably my number one. Your number one? Okay, so we disagree on that a little bit. But, but yeah, 03 was great, and then of course uh, two thousand twelve. That two thousand twelve, great game. Beauty. Uh, another game that K State was you could look at was fortunate to win. Uh, you know, Blake Bell, the belldozer, 
package, fumbling the ball on the doorstep of the goal line, keeping OU out of the end zone there. Uh, 24-19 game, but K-State was the better team that game, really. And they were the better team that season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, OU, Landry Jones, just an unconfident loser back there at quarterback. Um, And K-State handled him all game long. Arthur Brown just... Uh, yeah, blasting, blasting folks. Trey McTwire going over the middle. That's a play that I always remember. Oh yeah, and was it Tuggle that got the uh, that picked up the fumble for the score? Or I believe was it? it was it was Tuggle and Childs. I believe Tuggle maybe oh, you're right. forced Child, it. And, it was and Childs fell on yeah. her in the end zone. Boy, by the way, Childs is a Wildcat legend. <laughs> we yeah, have to dig yeah, into absolutely. Someday. He'll he'll have his moment in the note, sun. Note to self. No no doubt about that. Another game I want to mention is the 2013. K-State, Oklahoma game in Manhattan. That was the one where Tyler Lockett had about 500 yards receiving. He did. He did, and I will... Uh, man, I'll go on record saying that that was the coldest game uh, in Manhattan that I've ever been to. In Manhattan, yeah. Um, some of those OU games, uh, particularly the one in 2000... Yeah, that was freezing, uh, too. The Big 12 championship game was pretty cold out there in Arrowhead. Um, yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, the funny thing, too, about that uh, that 2013 game is K-State was actually favored in that game. A five-point favorite going into that game, and that was the same year that Oklahoma really shocked uh, the college football world by beating Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. So, Boy, we were favored in that yeah, game? Yeah, we were five-point favorite in that wow. game. Wow. K-State was hot at that point. I guess. They were real hot at that point, and... Uh, you know, Oklahoma ran wild that day. Trevor Knight and company, uh, you know, took care of business on that ground. Not only I remember not only about that game; it was cold, but it was just brutally windy. Yeah, I and remember was, that was like an eleven a.m. eleven a.m. Yeah. kickoff. Yeah. Okay, here's a question: Is OU the opponent, the the, the coldest K State opponent? Is there an opponent where you associate with cold more than you do OU? No, not really. I mean, Nebraska. Nebraska in 2000. 2000. Yeah, that was a cold one. But 98, K-State, Nebraska was a beautiful day. That was, it was like an unseasonably warm yeah. October day. Um, but, yeah, no. No, I think coldest Oklahoma's, opponent. Oklahoma, I think it's, I haven't looked at the forecast, but I think uh, think think the, uh, the temperature is going to be just fine this weekend in Norman. Uh, and... From a from the previous edition of the short side option, we left it with a bit of a cliffhanger, folks. Uh, it was 1996. We did our research. We came back with it. It was the last time that K-State had knocked off the Sooners in Manhattan. And uh, that was the game where uh, Voice of the Wildcats, now Voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, uh, declared Bill, Snowden, Bill Moses Snyder saying, let my people go from Sooner Bondage. A great call there by a fellow icon. Yeah, the, the Sooner Chariots were cast into the sea that day. And Absolutely. Boy, that clip on YouTube is amazing because you can see Snyder wearing this full gray like tracksuit. It's amazing. Um, just if for no... The niche call is tremendous, but... If you get a chance, go back and check out that uh, clip on YouTube because Snyder's get-up is just something to behold. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we will get into uh, our final segment today uh, where we will get into uh, questions for the icon in the segment we call Ask the Icon. Your questions, of course, can be submitted via Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast uh, or use the hashtag the hashtag ask the icon and we will answer your questions live on the air. Our first question this week comes from listener Big Dog in Madison. Uh, and it's a question about Madison. She asked the icon, I heard a rumor that the icon was in Big Ten country this week. Oh. She asked, How do you compare the atmosphere at Camp Randall in Madison, Wisconsin? To Bill Snyder Family Stadium in Manhattan, Kansas. That's an awfully specific. Were you in Man- Were you in Madison? I was. Wow, I was. Okay. And it was. Uh, it was a brutally cold day. <laughs> it was. All right, uh, so that's something familiar. That yeah, case- yeah. So I'm I'm already geared up for. I mean, it just got me prepared for K State OU week. But uh, no, it's a great college town. Of course, Madison's also the state capital of Wisconsin. So it's not necessarily just a 
a college town. There's a lot more going on there uh, than just a, a college town like Manhattan. But uh, students are into the game. Uh, a great place to watch a college football game. Uh, atmosphere was great. Uh, tailgating is a little bit different. So uh, the stadium uh, doesn't have you know the big parking lots like uh, the Bill does. Sad. So you've got a lot more uh, folks tailgating on on a street call. I, I can't even say tailgating, but folks, uh, you know, getting lubed up, I guess, so to speak, for the uh, for the big game where uh, on Regent Street, uh, which is just right next to the stadium. Is that their bar district or something? Yeah, uh, one of the one of their many bar districts in uh, in Madison. So, a, a great place to watch a game, and uh, you know, I, I hope to go back uh, several more times. All right. Our next question comes from listener Cody Weems. Weems asks, with the addition of four star wideout Hunter Ryzen next season, can we expect a different look on offense, or will we be getting the same three read option punt play calling? That's a really tough question. Uh, hard to say. I think a big problem with what K-State has – I think a big problem with the K-State passing game is the receivers just quite frankly can't create the separation. But next year, when you look at what the wide receiving you know, core should look like, it's going to be you know, Jordy, Zuber, Sebastian Taylor with another year of ex- experience, Malik Knowles getting some playing time as well. Hopefully he can take the next step, and then you add in a talented uh, – player like Hunter Ryzen, uh, who is the son, by the way, of former NFL standout Andre Bad Moon Ryzen. Spider-Man. And, and he, um, you know, by all accounts, has been uh, a great contributor in practice so far in his, in his redshirt year as he has to set out. So I expect Ryzen to be a, a big part of what K-State does offensively here in the future. And I expect... Uh, that the that the passing game gets better with his with his um, arrival, will it change the play calling? I will say yes because it will allow uh, the plays that are being called maybe right now to look a lot better because of the separation that you're seeing. Our next question comes from listener Brady. Brady asks, "Who on the roster will continue the NFL draft streak next year in the 2020 draft? Does Barnes have the talent to play on Sundays?" So, not this year's draft. The next year's draft. I I think, I, I think he. I don't know. He, well, he's. We'll continue the NFL draft streak next year in the 2020 draft. So I so guess. I think. Uh, Dal- ahead. Dalton Reisner's gonna get drafted this year, which will be the 2019 draft. But for 2020 draft, we'll we'll answer both potential routes of this question. Please proofread your questions before uh, submitting, folks. Uh, I think that. When you look at it, the streak is in jeopardy. Um, could Alex Barnes be that guy? Could um, could Isaiah Zuber be that guy? Um, France. France could be that guy as well. Uh, I think that there's going to be enough. Um, I think that we will play somebody. And if I had to put um, if I had to put uh, a wager on, I would say. Uh, Scott France will be the guy that uh, that gets his name called in the 2020 draft. Our next question comes from listener Twitter user at Sabination. Sabination asks, "Hey Chris, if you had 1.5 bills to spend on KSU athletics, what would be your shortlist three to five of purchases and/or investments?" Wow, fantastic question. Um, I would say I want a bigger video board in the north end zone. Number, number one. We'll, we'll go ahead and say that. In the north, we have two there already. I want, uh, I want one. I want the the Minitron. You know, I, I, I want those gone. You want, you want to get rid of the two on the sides. Yeah, I want the, not the not the Minitron like that used to be there. Of course, no. I'm talking the the ones. I want them. I want big ones. I want bigger ones for my. <laughs> Not pleased with Carl and Mary Ice's contribution. No, no, their, their contribution is great, but it's not $1.5 billion worth of Jumbotron, I'll tell you that much. That's fair. But I, I like something kind of more in the central aspect, kind of like how the south ends up. Oh, we'll replace the south one as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're, getting, we're, getting, uh, we're getting new Jumbotrons. We're also getting a Lazy River. Heated, <coughs> heated Lazy River. A Lazy uh, – you're speaking to me now. So are we talking around the field? Are we talking through campus? 
With one with one point five billion dollars, I think I can build a pretty long lazy river. I think you're right. So why why? I think it should maybe cut into maybe the Kansas River, and you can have like an exit. Wow. To exit directly to. That'll, to the stadium. That'll do some interesting things with, with the wildlife, I think. Getting some fish. <laughs> hey, it, it, it can hey we have a national championship bass fishing team. Just let them uh, cruise around Absolutely. Wagner Field. And then I think my final... I, I, let's get some uh, improvements um, to the maybe the east side uh, facade there as well. And uh, we'll also maybe get some more parking for RVs. How, how does that sound? I think it's great. So... Let me get this straight. You want to tear down the two video boards in the north end zone. Step one, get those out. Actually, I'm going to back off that. I'm going to say get rid of the like the kind of the things in the corner of the of the south end zone. Yeah, okay. Let's get rid of those. The, the ones uh, in the north, they hustle can stay. boards or little video. Yeah. Okay. And also get a bigger bigger uh, south uh, end zone board. And then north end zone can stay. We're redoing the lazy river, or we're, we're doing a lazy river. Mm-hmm. Um. The scope of that and we're not, is a, undefined at this we're point. We're getting an east side facade. Yep. Which I agree with. That's very important. Uh, but those are first. Those, that's first that's, order of business. Th- those are the first three. Not touching. Not touching Bramlage. No, Bramlage is fine. <laughs> they, 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 it's I, perfect. I, I was there for. Um, I was there for uh, midnight. You can never get it's madness. madness and and mad. <laughs> I'll get it right by the time uh, next next season tips off, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Uh, the one thing though, if I if I could say, I guess if the only thing I would do to Bramlage is probably tear it down mm. and <laughs> and then uh, refurbish Ahern. How's that? Sound? So all you would do to Bramlage is, tear it is, down. is bulldoze. It's, it. it's fine the way it is unless you want to tear it down. Okay, great. That was a great answer, Icon. Uh, we'll get into our final question here. <laughs> I can sense some sarcasm. <laughs> no, I think it's brilliant. Uh, our final question comes from Twitter user Nick Ward, uh, at InLelandW on Twitter. He asks, Hey, Icon, do you think a 22-man team of Colin Kleins could beat this year's Alabama team? If not, is there any former K-State player we could replicate into a full team to take them on? Hashtag we want Bama. Okay. Uh, I think Colin Kleins a little bit light. To be um, be mixing it up in the trenches with those big old boys from Alabama. Yeah, I don't think he has the arm. Yeah, yeah I, I question that as well. So, I do have a player in mind, though. And I, I'm gonna so also, do I. Go ahead and give yours first. I'm going with a big, dynamic, fast guy. Okay, we're on the same piece, right? Are we thinking, we're thinking the same Are we thinking thing. the mighty one? The mighty big Joe Hall. <laughs> yeah. Baby. I'm thinking Joe Hall. That's exactly what I thought. That's why this this is why the chemistry here is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I we're, think we're, this is the same wavelength that we're on. I think right he's now. got the girth to do it in the trenches and the range to cover wide receivers on the edge. You know, and folks, I want to give a plug real quick here. Go out to uh, YouTube, type in Joe Hall, Kansas State, and you will see that Joe Hall has a YouTube page that he has updated his. His highlights from his uh, career at Kansas State, and they're uploaded there for your viewing pleasure. So, if you uh, want to uh, see what we're talking about here, Joe Hall's your man. Yeah, I'm glad we were on the same wavelength there because I saw that question and I was thinking, oh, there's only one man for this job, <laughs> and it, it's it's mighty big Joe Hall. So, well, thank you to uh, to all of our listeners here for submitting uh, some fun questions for us here on this week's Ask the Icon. Uh, we'll be back next week. To review K-State versus Oklahoma, hoping for a tight one there. Maybe K-State can sneak out a road road win where they have had some more success uh, against the Oklahoma Sooners on the road in Norman. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. And then uh, next week, uh, the Cats are back out on the road as they take on really an embattled TCU team uh, next week. Also next week, we will have a guest, C.J. Moore, from The Athletic. He writes uh, for The Athletic covering college basketball. We'll have him on to talk about K-State and uh, the Big 12 as basketball season is only a few weeks away here. Uh, So we'll uh, be anxious to hear from C.J. and uh, review the Oklahoma and preview the TCU games on next week's edition of The Short Side Option.